so there's like a big part of the population that hasn't stopped working like people who sell food outside they're still doing it because they really need to survive it's the people that stock the grocery store shelves it's the uh, nurses it's the delivery drivers like that's the engine of our economy we're definitely talking about things that make us human right now even though we are stripped away from other things that we thought are very human it's shown us we can stop on a dime we can change things very quickly when we work as a team for medicine and especially medicine that's affordable for everybody we can work and cooperate together it, this is an international thing we are all one people and the stories remain the same it's still about daily life how people are surviving under difficult circumstances Mark here in Amsterdam, and we are continuing this series of uh, friends around the world. Uh, sometimes they're they're as close as a country next door. Sometimes they're across an ocean. Today's an across the ocean type of day. And speaking with us from São Paulo in Brazil is Cornelius. Hello. Hello. <laughs> now, um, I'll, I'll, so. Many of my friends, not unlike myself, we are in countries where we were not born, where we are not raised. Uh, we don't have the nationality, uh, or at least I guess I, I might, but anyway. Um, Cornelius, you're in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, when did this begin? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit crazy, but like um, I moved to Sao Paulo two months ago, basically. I took the last flight available before Brazil closed its borders for Europeans. So yeah, I'm living here now for two months. Two months, yeah. And, and you and I know each other from the good old days in Berlin at Wikimedia. And um, I also, of course, know, as many of your friends know you as well, as a Portuguese speaker. Um, also responsible for many of the articles on Lusophone matters around the world um, in, in Wikipedia. And so when I saw that you had moved to Brazil, or at least that you were in Brazil, and obviously uh, it looked like uh, from a social media view that you were in it for a while, that you weren't on your way back. There was no way back anyway. Um, Tell us, when you uh, took the last flight to Brazil uh, from the continent of Europe, uh, what were you, what was your objective? It's my, like, my, my boyfriend and now husband uh, got a job here at USP, that's Universidade de São Paulo, or Universidade de São Paulo. There you go. As you say, of course, correctly, um, <laughs> is, uh, got a job there as a German teacher. So he's, he's teaching German studies and German language. And, uh, yeah, with maybe a common decision or a joint decision. Okay. Let's move to, to Sao Paulo and, uh, we already like we got the job last year, and we before we moved, we actually looked at Sao Paulo and visited it. And I said, yes, Sao Paulo is a city that I could imagine to live because I'm I'm from Berlin, and I would say Berlin and Sao Paulo are at least similar. They're not close, but at least similar in many many different um, 
things. And uh, while my husband already had moved in February, beginning of February to, to Sao Paulo, I had planned to move in mid-April because I had to do things in Berlin, organize the Wikimedia Summit and so forth. And um, then um, Corona happened and um, we didn't know, didn't know what to do, basically. And we had a week of conversations, discussions, what should we do, what should we do? And then we read the news that Brazil would close its borders. And then we said, okay, uh, let's buy a flight now. And because otherwise it might happen that we don't see each other for, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, 10 months. And I said, okay, let's take the last flight. And then I took on Saturday the last flight that arrived on Sunday and on Monday morning they closed the borders. So that was my objective. And I was super happy that it worked out because it wasn't really clear if I could take that flight or not. Yeah. yeah. And at the time you arrive in the country, I mean, you arrive in Sao Paulo specifically, it's a mega city. So we're talking buildings, we're talking people. But at the same time, as you mentioned, Corona is going on. I didn't realize even at that time they're closing the borders. Um, what do you arrive into as you as you look around and try to do the things that you want to do each day? It was so weird because I arrived on Sunday and Monday closed the borders. On Tuesday, uh, all shops were closed, of course, besides essential services, but all shops were closed. So I didn't, I arrived already basically at a closed Sao Paulo. And I remembered Sao Paulo from, from last year where it, it was so crazy and buzzing and I don't know, it was so full of urban craziness. And now I'm here and it feels like eternal Sunday. Everything, like there is things are happening, people are on the streets because it's not, not an, there's no curfew. There are only recommendations to stay at home, but no, uh, legal obligations. So uh, people move, but it is, uh, yeah, it feels like Sunday, eternal Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eternal Sunday is probably the, the title they'll use when they make movies about this era. One of the many titles. Um, it's it's interesting too. I mean, you, you arrive in Brazil and one of the many things I want to talk to you about is what we know, right? We, as as you and I and, and anyone listening who reads a newspaper, or in your case, you could also look around and talk to people, you hear the conversations, although I guess you, there's no cafe or bar conversations, but let's just say from a distance with some people that you occasionally interact with. Uh, but there's that whole thing of how Brazil, well, the government uh, the federal government, and then there's how Brazil, the people, and I guess we should add in how Brazilian states uh, look at Corona. Um, Sao Paulo, you just mentioned, uh, shops are closed, but it's not a curfew. So is that exclusively Sao Paulo? No, I think that's pretty, like, like a lot of political debates and mm -hmm. like this whole corona becomes politicized and that's i think the main issue in this country but uh like the most of the states have like closed shops and now in last weekend first cities have real lockdowns real lockdowns as we know them from wuhan china or from from many european countries but um no, it is, and but it's always on the state level. Like the governors are like uh, really opposing the federal government and uh, doing basically their own, while the president is con constantly contradicting and um, yeah, 
well, joking about uh, this illness. And um, yeah, I'm, gonna, I, I'm really, I, from all the countries in the world, I ended up in, this, in the biggest country of the world that ignores the pandemic entirely and doesn't do much, I'd say, yeah. And even if they do things, like, uh, like they, they, of course, they try to establish things, but they are so weird and kind of useless because, so um, they had the recommendations to stay at home. And then they tried to, like, and the, the, the percentage, percentage of people that stay at home is monitored by, by a mobile surveillance system. And around 50% are only staying at home but it should be at 70 to have really an impact. And, um, and so people don't do it because I think people have either the option to die because of Corona or die because of, uh, because they don't have food, because they're hungry. So, um, yeah, so they go to work anyway. And then the government or the city of Sao Paulo now last week tried to, uh, create artificial traffic jams so that would be slower to go through the city so people would stay at home. That was one of the weirdest measures I've ever heard. <laughs> it was like, okay, wow, it doesn't have any effect, of course. And now, and then in Sao Paulo, there's a system that is called Rodizio, the same like the, the meat thing, meat restaurant thing, but it's here in Sao Paulo, it means it's a, like in, in London, it's a congestion charge you have to pay. And uh, only on several, you can only, usually it's like you have one day, you cannot enter this, the city center when your license plate has a certain number. And now it, it, uh, they establish a new system that it, uh, every second day you can't go by car to the city because it's always, uh, how do you say that? In par and par, um, even and uneven number. So, so if you have an even number, you can't go today, but only tomorrow and the other way around. And this has helped to reduce the traffic of the car traffic, but increase the metro, like the subway traffic by 50%. And well, in the, in the, in the underground, in the subway, you can't keep any distance to people, especially not yeah. the So it's like, I, it's, I, I don't know, it's... I'm amazed there's there's car traffic though. There is car traffic, but like if you know Sao Paulo, there's nothing. I'm I bought a bike and I'm now hmm. biking through Sao Paulo, and it's absolutely wonderful to bike through Sao Paulo without any real traffic. Yeah, is it is it a mountainous city? I mean, yeah, unfortunately, oh. I didn't know this. No, no, I knew this, but like I, I didn't know that there were so many mountains and hills like. Uh, okay, but uh, like the, the previous mayor and uh, previous presidential um, candidate Fernando Haddad established many many uh, bike lanes here, so it is actually quite nice to to go through the city. Yeah, and it's a great time to do it. I mean, if there's any kind of reduction in the amount of cars, uh, then you can just focus on the mountains and the <laughs> the physical challenge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting too. Like, I mean. Brazil sometimes to me sounds like the United States in terms of sometimes the relationship between federal government and states. Also the way people, um, I guess it's becoming a thing all over the world, but that division among the population, even with, if we talk about for a moment here, Bolsonaro, there are those who are fans, there are those who are supporters, and then there's the population that is totally against him. And it's sort of 
it doesn't necessarily 50-50 split the country, but it's a very divisive thing. You're for, you're against. And uh, and I do read, of course, uh, news about Brazil. And again, I see the, the divisions that exist around, seemingly around the country, uh, around people who say, this man has a point, uh, and including on the corona thing. Uh, but they've always said, you know, this man has a point. And then the others that say, this man is dangerous. Uh, and and, uh, and there it is. These divisions continue even, of course, during a pandemic. Absolutely. It is, and it, that's so that's, uh, dangerous that an illness like a global health crisis becomes politicized. And it's the biggest democracy of the world that ignores this pandemic and doesn't do anything yeah while the harshest autocracies yeah dictatorships do things and protect the population here it is advised to wash your hands and have a mask but please you won't you won't fight coronavirus with washing your hands and uh, wearing a mask yeah? it's just like yeah doesn't help and it's so we have we have talked to different people like um because just as a side note like we had moved in in a new apartment and we're trying to buy new furniture or used furniture and there is a web page that is called all shish all x and it's kind of like a craigslist um, and and uh, so we picked up many different furnitures and it's a great way to get to know the city uh, the suburbs and uh, to have interesting conversations and we went to a family to buy like some piece of furniture and it was clear they were not stupid, not at all, but like they did not, they didn't know much about it. And they were like, ah, yeah, but coronavirus is an illness that thickens your blood, right? And I said, no, no, <laughs> this is a respiratory thing. It doesn't do much with your blood, but it was like, there is so... They don't, they don't read news or they were overwhelmed by the news. And I think also news media in, in Brazil also like have a special touch because also they're so politicized and it's so difficult to get good information on a virus. It is already difficult to get good information on a novel virus because so it, many scientific opinions change from day to day. But even then, like, there's no, no basic guidelines and people still think that they protect themselves with a mask. And like, well, you protect others, but you don't protect yourself with a mask. You know? And yeah, that was quite an eye-opening um, uh, conversation with that family. And we, yeah, we gave, gave them some basic information on Corona. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's good to know that at least the system for buying and selling things, use things online is something that people are still willing to use. Right. Uh, I also imagine some scenarios where people are like, Oh, nope, not going to do any purchasing or selling or, or they do it, but they keep a really big distance from you and distrust the sort of other. Yeah, no, but like, like, no, we were also, we entered the, we entered their house with masks and after like 30 minutes, I feel like, felt like stupid still wearing that mask while, while, while they didn't wear a mask. We're like, okay, well, it's pretty useless. Yeah. And of course this was a risk. We took the risk and it is of course too dangerous to a certain extent, but I don't want to live in an empty, <laughs> empty, empty apartment for a month. Yeah. So we are like, we're like observing, can we take the risk? We're considering, and it's like, it you, have to, okay. you have to keep adapting uh, depending on yeah. the situation. <laughs> yeah. 
But so, uh, your husband is there to teach German. Uh, is he able to teach German these days? Yeah, well, everything happens through Zoom. Yeah, so uh, he gives German lessons uh, via Zoom, and and he's really he's really ambitious, or he's really like really enthusiastic and wants to do a good service to the students or give, uh, teach well, which is super hard because many many are frustrated, many many students are afraid and uh, are like. Personal issues, and so it's super hard to maintain the group. And on the other side, for him, it's also super exhausting to teach German well, yeah, because Zoom is not made for language teaching. It is it's a conference call system, and it's super exhausting to attend to teach a ninety minute German lesson. But it's also super exhausting to attend a ninety minute uh, uh, language session. So he manages quite well, but it is um, yeah difficult. And uh, like one point that that was really interesting because um, for the, the the university took ages to decide whether it's good to have online learning or not because all other most uh, most of the universities of Brazil have forbidden uh, online learning because it was it would disadvantage those that did not have access to broadband internet or to internet at all or to to a computer and that was. It was for me as a German super interesting because in Germany we had discussions about online learning, but because if the teachers, if the professors are able to, if they have the skill enough to provide uh, e-learning, while here it is more, uh, yeah, a conversation about privilege, yeah? and the student unions fought against e-learning, and it was like it made sense to a certain extent. But on the other hand, you would you would lose a whole semester, yeah, and to be honest. This, this might not be the only online semester. It could be also the next one. And you don't want to lose a whole year just because, um, yeah, you, 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 you don't give access to this. To For 90% of the people might have broadband internet. You would disadvantage them as well. Yeah. So it is a complicated discussion. I can't say this is right or this is wrong. I'm just saying this was a perspective that I didn't have and that I learned here while... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so you you visited Brazil how many several times, right? Not just two, two. Oh, okay, yeah, two yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Two times only. But but I mean, you 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 get to observe, um, which is something more that I I have never managed to do. I I, I read and I listen and I talk to friends and but uh, but there you are having seen Brazil now in two particular uh, experiences. This one will carry on. But it is interesting that, you know, here's a country that, what, less than 20 years ago, when Lula first came, I guess it was the early 2000s, end of the 90s, you know, Fom Zero, where a president of a a, a modern, uh, large population democracy says, well, one of the things we're going to focus on is people should have enough to eat. And that, for me, back then was a reminder of Brazil for all its things that are happening for all its uh, economy, vibrance, uh, it also still has people who don't have enough to eat. Now, I know this to some extent in the United States as well, and we see it during coronavirus, those who can't get a meal at school the way they usually do. Um, but, you know, here we are only a little over a decade removed from the Fom Zero campaign. I never really heard a good summary of how it all ended up. Um, but when you talk about, 
you know, do students at a university, I'm assuming some of these are public universities, um, do we know for sure, can we assume they have internet? Um, th that just reminds me that you, you still can't, right? There are still people in Brazil who could even be university students who outside of the university may not have what is, you know, considered, like you said, in Germany and the Netherlands, normal, that you could find the, you have internet, you're going to have internet at home. Um, that's absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Because my my husband visited Brazil for the first time in 2005, and he said it was such a different mood and different atmosphere. It was like, it was 2005 or 2007, I don't remember, but he said like, it was like, he was in a professional program with young global leaders. Well, you might not like the term, but it was something like, ah, it was super well-educated uh, young Brazilians who were like uh, really looking like looking up and seeing that this could be the new global elite. Yeah. I, you might not use the terms, but it's still, it was really a super positive atmosphere. It was, there was talks about Brazil being a world power and super, like a super strong economy. And now it feels like it's constantly depression, depressed, really. It's like, really, no. And all the Uber drivers tell you, ah, oh, why is this happening? We're such a good country, but uh, we could be world power. Like, yeah, well, but um, if you don't care about the poor, if you don't help them, you won't be a super uh, super world power economy. You know, like, you, you have to think about all of them. You have to think what kind of super unfair and unequal society this is and uh, you still feel this colonial structures in this I'm, I'm so shocked every time by the, the different aspects of the society but this whole um, there's even a term for this uh, casa grande sensale and which means uh, casa grande the, the the mansion and the, the hut i think that's the the translation is it's about this division between um the upper class people, and I would say the lower class people, and which is coming from colonial times. And you see this until today, just an example, in every standard skyscraper or big building, you have always an entrance for the people that live there, and you have an entrance, a service entrance. Yeah. So, and you have always two, uh, two elevators, one elevator for the people that live there, and one elevator for the for the service people, and it's and of and if you service service people like a technician comes to my house, of course they only allowed to go while the service elevator. And I find this so I found this so shocking when I saw this for the first time because it it this this inequality is so structured, so manifested in this in the society. I was yeah really surprised and shocked until today, and still still are. Yeah. yeah, a couple of programs ago, just to tell you something to, you'd find interesting as a as a Wikimedian, uh, among other things, um, a friend of mine's a librarian in Kansas City, Missouri, and I had her on the program, and she's working from home, and she said, uh, "Yeah, well, actually, we're not working from. Sorry, I, I got I got that one wrong. She's not working from home because the library legally cannot assume that everybody has uh, internet access." and sufficient internet speed to do the work that they might need to do. So it's just legally they can't even do it because they are, yeah, there are these realities of the state of Missouri, which has a certain level of poverty and a certain level of, well, limited internet, uh, especially rural uh, internet. And I found that very fascinating. And, and yeah, again, a reminder of big country, uh, uh, famous image, but truth is something else. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, so just because you said I'm, I have a Luciferian background, well, I'm, I, I lived for, in Portugal in net like two years, but like for the first time in 2006, 2007 as an exchange student. And I lived in a, in a small village with 200 inhabitants called Netush, uh, close to Figueira Foch in the center of Portugal. And, um, What was so interesting when I look back is the image of Brazil that I had or that I was that was shown to me. Yeah, so Portuguese people made a lot of a lot of a lot of jokes about Brazilians and Brazilian culture and Brazilian, especially Brazilian dialects. Of course, it was like the main issue. Like the Portuguese people with their European Portuguese making constant jokes about Brazilian dialect. And I learned these jokes as well. And I also joked about this because that was, I was basically taught. Yeah. And also about like the, the view of Brazilian women in Portugal you know, that were always seen as, uh, as sex workers. Yeah. And it was like really, I was the really was strong. I would say a negative image of Brazil in Portugal, but always with this kind of also a bit of jealousy. Oh yeah, these are like the kind of our brothers, but they're much bigger and so and much cooler. Of course, always than those old people where they say, "Yeah, and one day we will get Brazil back." And like all these, like we were full of weird memories when I thought about my memories in Brazil, of Brazil in, in Portugal. And uh, and now I'm in, in Brazil and I'm seeing it the other way around because, uh, of course, Brazilian dialect is really fun, to be honest. Like, I've learned European Portuguese and I still spoke European Portuguese in Portugal and Mozambique, but they also speak European Portuguese. And, of course, it's totally different. But I also see the other way around that it, European Portuguese looks so old-fashioned to Brazilians because they have, for everything, they have a real Portuguese word. While in Brazil, uh, often... Uh, like much more or much or much more often than the European Portuguese, uh, English words are used yeah. for things. Us. I don't know. Like the best example that I always use is there is, of course, an, uh, a word for impeachment in Portuguese, but all Brazilian media and all peoples constantly talk about impeachment of the president and not like impeachment of president uh, <laughs> and, uh, instead of desoneração, which would be the actual oh. word. Yeah, but this is just a good example of yeah, yeah. how often these terms used, and then these English words are Brazilianized. And this is so funny because it comes out like hip-hop becomes hippie-hoppy, yeah? And uh, I don't know, hot, hot, hot spot would be hotchy-spotchy, yeah, 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 of course. And uh, red hot chili peppers would be veggie hotchy chili peppers, yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been wondering for years if omnibus just came from someone looking at the English word like omnibus and said like this is the word for bus um but yes yes there there are these these things that you get to bask in in brazil these days um cornelius how do you uh in your daily you know everyone's got their projects these days i today for example i hooked up a sewing machine something i hadn't done in ages and started practicing sewing uh to see what i wanted to do including possibly make some masks the first you got to practice. Um, what do you find yourself uh, working on, spending your time doing uh, in this period of Corona? Yeah, besides working, I still work a bit uh-huh. on Wikipedia, but my job, job will end soon. I'm yeah, taking care of this new apartment, and we have a, um, yeah, I have to admit, we have a rooftop terrace. And uh, <laughs> it's a good time and, for it. Um, 
I, I was a plant fan already before, but in Berlin, I was at a small apartment and Berlin weather is not so great for plants in general. Yeah. <laughs> like Amsterdam weather, maybe. I don't know. Things are changing. But, uh, and, <laughs> and now I live in a country where it's more or less constantly 20 degrees Celsius and it's more or less always sunny. So it's the perfect city for having plants. And I have a good apartment for plants. So uh, last Sunday, my husband and me, we wanted to go to a lake by car, but instead we stopped at a garden center just out of curiosity. And um, yeah, we had a kind of a kind of plant crush. So we uh, we bought plants for 50 years, which, and you can't buy a lot of plants for 50 years in Brazil. So we bought a lemon tree and we bought a mango tree and and strawberry plants and tomato plants and an avocado tree. And uh, yeah, so we're decorating our rooftop with a lot of plants. And because anyway, for the next six months, I won't see much of the city, or like I won't do much in this activity. So so I will take care of these plants. And uh, that's great. <laughs> I like how you skipped right past this flower that makes a nice flower this plant you're like no give me the fruit trees i want to have mangoes i want avocados there's a secondary goal here i see of course the mango tree will have four mangoes per season the the garden at all that's an impressive even to be able to tell people that is that's impressive (laughs) (laughs) wow the rooftop garden i'll I'll look forward to photos of that Definitely. And now I'm like thinking about what, what could I build there because I want to build an, in Germany called this uh, Pflanzenstrepe, like a plant stair. So like the plants are like staggered in a way, a staggered planter. And um, yeah, I want to build this by myself because I have time. So um, yeah. yeah, this is what keeps me busy. It becomes a carpentry project uh, besides a gardening yeah, project. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was already joking. It's like super neo bourgeois. Yeah? So it's just like I'm taking care of my plants. I'm building things. Now the next thing is, of course, breaking that bread. Yeah, this would be the traditional <laughs> German thing now: sorghum bread. Yeah? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You have to go through each of the phases of this whole process. But meanwhile, in the outside world, um, where are we? Because you know, every country, every region, perhaps even, is in a sort of different. I guess we can call it a timetable, as you know, because it's so loud in in the media. The U.S. is in this sort of conflicted opening up. You know that Germany is in this careful opening up with occasional. Uh, and, and and I'm here in the Netherlands. There's also some kind of what they call opening up. So uh, elementary schools open this week, and I guess in two or three weeks, secondary schools open. That's what's happening here. What is the word there? Oh. I would love to be in that situation already, but it's like, like the numbers are, we can't trust the numbers in a way that there are not much test. There's not much testing. There are only three institutes in the entire country that are able to do uh, Corona PCR tests. So, um, so actually the number might be 10 times higher and it would be just the, just behind the U S basically. And um, I think, there are, of course, already conversations about opening up, but why should you open up? You will just kill more people. So, and, and instead, I think after much hesitation, uh, the next lockdowns will start. So I can, I'm kind of assuming Sao Paulo will live in a real lockdown, like either next week or in two weeks. So, because it's, the numbers are getting higher and higher and 90% of all, um, what do you call this new UCRs? 
UCTs, UCIs, like the special care, intensive care uh, beds in the hospitals are already uh, occupied. So, and when the number is at 100%, there won't be other measures than having lockdown. So, we're still far away. And the, the Minister of Health was fired three or four weeks ago because he and the president had different opinions. And he appeared yesterday for the first time since then uh, in a CNN interview. And he said the numbers will rise until July, no, August, middle of August, and only then they will plateau. So, um, yeah, I'm still far away from any substantial conversations about opening up. Yeah. Seems like the the governor of Sao Paulo seems like an interesting person. I've seen him quoted here and there as a sort of the the arch enemy, or at least the answer to Bolsonaro stuff. Yeah, this is also politicized again because <laughs> he's a right wing guy. Like, he is. If you call Bolsonaro right, extreme extreme right uh, and uh, fascist, you can uh, João Doria, which is the governor of the yes, state of Sao Paulo. That's the he's alt right, and they. <gasps> I didn't realize. They were together, like they they had a coalition when and they Doria supported Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro supported Doria in their respective elections. And now they broke. Yeah. And now Doria presents himself as the strong man who takes measures in Sao Paulo to protect uh-huh. the economy. To be, of course, the next president uh, presidential ne- uh, right. candidate right. in twenty twenty two. So this is also Okay, and it's that's the big issue for me. Is it's only a conversation between the extreme right, and the also right. minions, and the uh, and the right right yeah. wing. Yeah? yeah. So the the left is basically unheard, and they are not united. There's no good left lines. And in worst is they're only talking about the scandals that the president uh, president is creating instead of how to actually do something against the virus because i'm observing german media and in german media the like huge debates about the coronavirus yeah. app tracing them. sure tra- yeah, yeah. How, how do you do this with good privacy stuff so and there's no such conversation here there's no conversation at all about how to mitigate <laughs> this it's just like yeah it's happening. Well, we can do. We can wash our hands and wear masks. Sorry for being cynical, but this is how. That's what you. That's what you observe. Yeah. Oh, that's how it feels. Also. Yeah. 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 Wow, man. What a what a funny, odd, crazy, interesting uh, situation. I mean, we're all in, but you have gotten into something very specific there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indeed, it wasn't my intention. I was like, I'm. I wanted to discover the urban craziness of the city, and it has a, has a really weird city center full of modernist buildings and old buildings, and and a lot of uh, underground techno parties. And that was I was hoping to discover, and I, I had discovered already uh, two of these parties in, when I was at Carnival here. Um, for a week, but uh, yeah, I was ready to discover that part of the city better. Yeah, and now, as I said, eternal Sunday. Sure, but but I hey, eternal hangover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you can you know when a city is not at its full capacity. Uh, not at all. You can see things you normally don't get to see. You can hear things you normally don't get to hear. You've got a rooftop, uh, um, uh, what's it called garden. I mean, the air must be. You know, you don't have much to compare it to, but much better than it usually is. That's interesting. I'm not complaining, Mark. It's just like, 
That was what I had hoped for, and now I'm stuck in a golden cage, which is fine. I'm, I know I know my privileges, of course, especially in, a, in such a country. I know I'm aware of my privileges and should complain. But as you had asked, Chris, I I allowed myself to complain. Please, yes, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's it, it sounds interesting. I'm curious what you'll what you'll see and hear. The good stuff, especially in the coming weeks. I mean, I'm I'm even curious about stuff like you know. One of the big issues all over the world is, especially in countries that have a lot of care facilities for the elderly, and 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 I put Portugal now in as one of these newer countries where elderly care was not a thing 20, 25 years ago, and now it is in a big way. And as we know, in the US, it's a very big thing. There's lots of companies with mixed reputations. And these places right now are in such a... Well, in some cases, in a very bad state. In Portugal, they're in a very interesting state. Many of them are very proactive, I've learned over the last few weeks. And then you got Brazil, where I don't know, and you, you may not know either, but you will find out in the coming, uh, maybe if we get the, you know, the information comes out, elderly care, I don't know if that's yet a thing in Brazil. I yeah. don't know. I talked to the, the owner, the lady of the shop, Masseria, close by a grocery store, and she just told me, "Yeah, yeah there are a lot of old people living here, but I'm like, uh, I'm doing all the delivery services for them, and that's the only thing I heard so far about yeah. elderly people." Like, yeah, no, no, I don't um, think it's a thing. I, I, and I remember even in China, uh, I was there a few years ago, and, and several of my friends said, "Yeah, we usually live with." The, the older generation of our families. It's only now in these big cities where we're starting to have a need. Our apartments are too small. Our pace of life has changed. So we have some new facilities. So this becomes a thing. And I can imagine that happening in Brazil as well. So my friend, uh, it sounds good anyway. I mean, the, the, the parts that are <laughs> involve plants and people sound interesting. I'll, uh, for the recording, I'll say uh, it's really great to talk to you. Good to hear from not only where you are in the world, but also what you're up to. Because I think that even when if we just talk about the garden, um, I think these are things that can be very enjoyable and can yeah take our mind and our hearts places uh, that are very good to go to. So good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cornelius Kibelka is a prolific Wikimedian, a new resident of Sao Paulo, and my friend. And that about does it for today's program. Once again, a big thank you to Cornelius. Good to hear from my friend, even just arriving in a country during these corona times, um, despite the limitations, you can observe and you really learn something, I think, about a community, a country, um, yourself, obviously, <laughs> some people that are might be isolated with you. So I think that these conversations are always interesting. And this one, uh, like all of the ones we've had recently, I, I really get a lot out of it. And I see this, how they all kind of fit together also. So the show will go on. More conversations in this context that we are living in. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it. As always, you can leave feedback on citizenreporter.org. And remember that wherever you listen to audio, wherever you get podcasts, Citizen Reporter is in there. You can find me. Uh, it's subscribable, so every time the show is ready, you get it automatically. Gone are the days 
of having to go check on a website. I appreciate those who do that, but I, I think subscribing is the way to go. Thanks very much for being with me, and I'll see you real soon. See ya. See ya.